Through interviews from London to Los Angeles, I hope this podcast will inspire you to embrace your wild side. To keep up with my wild adventures, follow me at suzylindow.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Enjoy the show. Hey, my name is Meg Delagrange. I was born Amish, horse and buggies, like all the way. Whatever you've seen on TV has probably not been that accurate, but I was born Amish. And since then, I've had over 22 moves between my birthplace in upstate New York and living abroad in Tokyo, Japan. So I'm excited. I'm so honored and excited to be on the wild side today sharing my story. Fantastic. So... Meg, tell me your definition of wild. Oh, I love that. You know, I was thinking this morning when I got up and walked out the door with a pair of pants on that I'm being wild. Like every day I'm wild because of how I was born. Like I was born in this culture where everybody wore dresses and everything was structured. And today my life doesn't look like anything like that. So I think I'm wild all the time. And the definition for me is freedom and no more shame. Nice. I love that. That's very, that's an excellent definition of wild. So I have to believe with your background and with living in Japan and coming from all these different places that you've lived and all these experiences that you probably have had a few ex- wild experiences and you can share some of them with us. So do you have, do you have uh, one or two stories? I do. I don't even know exactly where to start because I've gone through moments in my childhood where I would feel wild doing something scandalous. Um, not, I think so many people take normal life experiences for granted. If we would put ourselves in someone else's shoes, we might realize that our lives are a little bit more wild than we thought. That's true. It's kind of a comparison. Right? I was excommunicated when I was 21 years old, and I'll never oh my forget... Gosh my first encounter with like a mainstream American person. And you're probably going to laugh because um, who says that? Like I was, um, the only school I ever saw was inside of a one-room schoolhouse, but the rest of the time I was homeschooled. And so I was 21 years old and hadn't gotten, hadn't been exposed to anything. I'd been in a little bubble, so everything was shocking. But I think my most shocking experience um, happened when I showed up to my husband's new military base. He had We had been excommunicated, and he went straight into the military, which was really forbidden. And I showed up, and the very same weekend that I showed up at the new base, he had a whole bunch of friends over and I guess he'd gone through basic training with them or whatever. He knew these people. I didn't know these people. I had never had a friend who had tattoos or, um, wore like crop tops or, you know, I mean, I just had never had like any mainstream American friends at all. Everybody had been like Mennonite or Amish, right? Because that was my background, but I'll never forget this. Um, the first guest showed up 
She swung the door open. She said, what's up, bitches? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just in shock. Oh, sure. And then, like, that very first weekend, I mean, they had so much fun giving this new naive girl alcohol and passing the blunt over to her. And, you know, all of these things are, like, not really supposed to be part of military parties, but this was off base, and they were just letting loose. And then at some point we're all drunk and high and the walls start shaking because the, the room next to us, the couple was having like sex in there. And I'm like, (laughs) what is happening to me? Like all of my alarms, like this is wrong and sinful because of how I've grown up are all going off. But the crazy thing is because that was like my first experience I really thought this is how everybody behaves. Oh, so it went from one extreme to the other extreme. Yeah. Wow. And so suddenly I was in this world of that first year probably of this brand new military life where we were part of that crowd where we're in our 20s and all of these kids are like 17, 18, went into military boot camp right out of high school. So we're hanging out with like teenagers, they're like partying all the time, (laughs) keg stands. So I went from like, it wasn't a normal, like a normal culture shock at all. And now I get it. But at the time I kind of wondered what the heck was happening to me. And then at the same time, my husband started having an affair. Oh no. I just thought, well, I mean, I was raised that you never get divorced and you just accept kind of whatever happens to you. And so I'm sitting there. He's literally just bringing this chick around. Um, everybody knows they have a thing, and I'm just okay with it. I think a oh lot of gosh. I think some people will be able to, you know, relate to that. Um, but I was just really. I remember after about a year, I looked at him and said, you know, probably the first time I voiced how I felt, and I said, I hate you. I hate oh this. Oh my god! It was just all this like you know, rage that came out of me, but it was the beginning of being able to converse. And like, just even in that moment, I felt wild, like just having to just be able to have my own voice just felt like that was my freedom and like bursting out. Yeah. And, um, so I think that was my first, you know, real like wild thing that I just found myself in. And then the next time was several years later my ex-husband and I, my husband got orders to Japan and we showed up in Japan and suddenly I was out in Japanese culture. I didn't have the sense of all the other Americans to stay on the base. I just thought like everything was, you know, had become, the world had become my playground. So why wouldn't I go out and see it? Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget. I just drove off base one day, Japanese, uh, no like understanding of the, my surroundings or what you should or shouldn't do in a foreign country. No cell phone, but I had already got my Japanese driver's license and I got thoroughly lost just out in Tokyo. Oh my God. Driving. Oh my gosh. I started going down alleyways where I couldn't even turn where they got so tight that I had to back out because I couldn't turn anymore. Um, just really just bizarre. And then I decided to drive to the highest point that I could find and look for the buildings of the military base. And sure enough, I saw them out in the distance. And because my dad had, I hadn't grown up with technology or anything. I'd grown up, my, my dad teaching me how to read a map. So I eventually found myself 
back there. And that was within a week of living in Japan. I think two weeks. Oh my gosh, were you terrified? I you was were... terrified. I realized you don't that speak the anything... language. And... Yeah, I don't speak the language. I don't even know. Like, I'm still not really even knowing how I would, you know, I wouldn't have even, I don't even know if I would have known what to say to someone if I had pulled over. And I mean, people in Japan really don't speak English. I mean, if they do, I, I could, wasn't even able to understand it. Oh so I ended up speaking um, or teaching it, teaching English to Japanese students and driving a lot and eventually ended up like just taking vacations hours away by myself. Um, I really just didn't have any fear. Well, that's pretty wild if you ask me. <laughs> you know, going to a foreign country, I think a lot of people would would be a little bit nervous, but then just going off on your own and you know, being as yeah. young as you were and, and coming from such a different culture. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Just getting lost. I would just go get lost. Wow. I think you can learn so many good things from getting lost. Mm-hmm. I think we actually have to lose our sense of direction and lose our sense of anything and go get lost once in a while. And I think that's something that I enjoyed doing while I was there. I almost started being intentional about it. Is it the challenge? Think? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I learned a lot about myself. Oh. And I actually felt more at home in Japan than I even probably still do in the U.S. Because of the traditional culture and everything. Um, but I left that when I got divorced and came back to the U.S. And I moved to Denver, which is where we've connected. Mm-hmm. But I moved to Denver not knowing anyone here. So... It was just kind of a wild thing to do, right? And I signed a lease, a 12-month lease on an apartment, which is unheard of to be able to do that without a job or without having, like, roots. And you had a daughter. And I had a daughter. I'm a single mom. she was five or something at the time? She was four. Four at the time. Four years old. Yeah. That's a lot. And I saw an apartment, and I was like, "That's, that's it. There was just an energy about it. There was just, I mean, I didn't even know anything about that part of town. Um, come to find out, like a few months later, friends from out of town came to visit me and we were walking back from the local park at eight o'clock at night. And she said, you know, I don't know how you do it living here because I don't feel safe. And I thought I have felt completely safe and I continued to feel completely safe, but I was living in a very diverse neighborhood, um, on the East side. Uh, so if you know anything about Denver, all the white people like to stay away from that, but, I am just not your typical white person, and I love that because I see other cultures, and I'm like, this is where I'm at home because we're all from a different culture living in this crazy big country. So mm-hmm. let's get together and just like feel something, a kindredness with each other because we're all out of place. Right, the community. Yeah. You know, it's that sense of community. Well, that's, that's a real gift for everyone, you know, when you can go out and meet new people and, um, you know, embrace, uh, embrace that situation. And um, yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would think that was kind of wild, too, just to, you know, um, you were so uh, secluded, you know, like this is like the opposite. I mean, I came yeah. from, you know... Madison, Wisconsin, and I, I mean, what you've done with just seeking out adventure and everything is pretty wild, I would say. 
It's fun. And I did, yeah. I've done it a lot more since. I mean, I just, it seems like once I know I can jump, jump uh, five feet and live, then I'm going to try 10 and then I'm going to try 20. I don't know. I'm looking back at my life. I'm seeing that's what's happening. Someone messaged me the other day and she said, you know, the more people talk about you or um, oppose you, the louder you get. And I was like, that is the best thing that anybody has ever said. To oh, me. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that made me happy. I was like, ah, that's what fuels me is mm-hmm. like, um, boxes actually fuel me because then I'm like, I want to figure out how to get out of this box. Mm-hmm. It's but it's, it's interesting because I have now become okay with being in certain boxes, which I think another conversation altogether. But last year, I was at New York Fashion Week walking down the runway. Okay, now now everyone who's listening today, did you hear what she just said? She grew up Amish, and then last year she was at Fashion Week in New York. So how did that come about? So a few months before that, I left a really great job that I had as a creative director of an agency, which is a wild story in and of itself because I didn't have any like formal education, really, um, a few years before that. And I just found myself learning a lot about design and being promoted very quickly in this company that I was in and becoming creative director, which is great. Why would you walk away from that? Well, one day I gave them my two weeks notice because my cousin had a leather bag company. She was making these leather bags and I saw an opportunity to be part of something organic, grassroots, different. I saw that we had a story that we could tell from Amish to fashion. And so I gave my two weeks notice and joined her, even though she had only at that point sold 45 bags online. Oh my gosh, that's taking a leap. (laughs) So it was a big leap. And within, um, of course, we've been fine now. We've sold over 4,000 handcrafted bags since in the following year and a half. But um, we took that leap. And within six weeks, we got invited to New York Fashion Week by a platform. And so what, there is are a, different, what is a platform? So there's different platforms in the fashion world. If you're a smaller brand or a smaller business and you're trying to get your in, it's like it's almost like I, I'm an artist also, so I'm seeing that in the fine art world. If you want to really get into the fine art world, you've got to start playing the gallery game, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually you get to have your solo shows and you know your your solo exhibitions. But when you're new, you play this like gallery game and you be part of, you're part of group exhibitions, right? And all of this. So that's kind of how it is in the, in the fashion world, right? So they have different platforms that act kind of like galleries that curate work from, you know, talent that they find, that they go out and find. And you can only be invited. You can't, like with a gallery, you could apply to be at that gallery. But in the fashion world, you can, from what I've learned, only be invited most of the time. Unless there's a platform where you can be applied. But this platform was invitation only. So we were invited to have our own show at Fashion Week. My business partner, that was really intimidating to her, probably because it was a lot of money. And so she was like, well, I looked at it, was like, we have to do it. So I kind of talked her into doing it by saying, hey, why don't we just see if we can accessorize a couple shows? So she thought that was a great idea and it cost less money to go do that. So we went and accessorized a couple shows for a couple designers. And one of the shows that we accessorized, they, um, they needed some more models for their showcase. And 
so the designer kept looking at me and saying, like, suddenly I became just an object. And he said, you know, he was talking about me as though I were not, like, didn't have a name. So he's just, like, talking about my body. And I'm like, who is he talking about? <laughs> suddenly I realized he's talking about me. And he's saying, like, she can wear a dress. And he's looking right at me. And I'm like, me? And, I, and he was from the Netherlands. So it was there was, like, a language oh barrier. Gosh. The next thing I knew, I'm in the lineup. I mean, they just put me into hair and makeup. They gave me like a 30-second crash course. He told me how I, um, the manager came out, their manager, and said, okay, I'll work with her on her walk. And suddenly they're not saying, I'll work with you on your walk. Suddenly they'll, they're saying, referring to me as, I can't hear them. It was just a really weird experience. It's like a, kind of an out-of-body experience. So... They're working with me on my walk, putting me into hair and makeup in within like 10 minutes, five minutes, probably less because they just like somebody did a little video of me getting my hair and makeup done. And I couldn't believe there were like five people on my head and I'm just my head's just being pulled back and forth, you know, to just get myself ready. And then I'm up there. And I was really glad I had been doing going to the gym for the few months before that. I was like, yes, because my legs are strong, right? And I'm in shoes that were too big for me, oh, but they no. put tape on my feet to keep but me in my shoes. But you the catwalk. Yeah, and I didn't oh, stumble. Oh, wow. That's I walked it and walked it actually three times. And the next day, I was still on this high after having done that. And somebody sent me a photo and said, uh, is this you? It was a photo from Getty's Images. Getty's? Well, she knew it was you. She knew it was me. Oh. She was like, look at, look at this. But she was like also making sure, like, isn't this you? Because she was also like freaking out, like, this is Getty's Images. Is that the Meg I know? Oh, my god! it was. So there's like three photos of me on Getty's Images. So what were you thinking right before you went out? Like, were you just in panic mode? Or I what was were you? so excited, and I oh, had this were... weird calmness. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow. So when you see me on, I look a little nervous, definitely, in the first photo on Caddy's images, because and when I watched the watch, watch this showcase on YouTube and wherever it was broadcasted, I think in the New Yorker, I was like, I look a little, you know, like it's a little trepidatious, and I definitely didn't have a strong catwalk walk. I found out it was not that easy mm -hmm. to just look confident. I f didn't feel, um, I, I felt confident, but I didn't really see that confidence until the second time I was walking. And it was funny because the second time I walked, my entire thigh was out for the world to see. Oh. <laughs> because they didn't get the fit of the dress quite right. And I'm like a size eight and this dress is made for a size four. I thought it was oh great gosh. that they put me on the catwalk mm -hmm. being like a in the fashion world, a plus size model, but a um, plus size is an eight. <laughs> oh, come on. Right. Uh, but it was fantastic. I oh actually felt more confident and I heard so many comments. Um, people that were at the show came up to talk to me and they said, you know, it was so fantastic to see, you know, a real woman on the catwalk. And they oh. were, um, I believe the show actually got some recognition because oh, wow. they were just like, you know, this is fantastic. Um, I don't know, but it was just great. And that image where I'm like out there and I've really in that photo have a strong walk and my thigh is just, you know, <laughs> my size eight thigh is just leading the way. Good for you. I love it. I know. That. I love That's it too. Inspirational. It's it's helped yeah. me love myself. Oddly Good. enough, for some people, seeing an image of themselves on 
you know, something like Getty's images are yeah, public would kind of make you, you like question yourself maybe, or, Oh, I don't like myself now. Mm-hmm. It's made me love myself more. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's I really empowered that. me. Good. It's, yeah. It's really good. Cool. Now you have to go back a little bit because when I first met you, what really blew my mind was that you were a web designer, but you had been Amish. So yeah. I'm wondering what, how you went <laughs> from no electricity, no computers, you know, that kind of life to doing things that I don't know how to do, you know, and the back end of, of web design. How did that happen? I that's think pretty that's wild. why I feel like every day of my life is wild. Okay. Because I'm doing things that are so different than the first half of my life, you know, 21 years old. I was 21 years old when I was excommunicated. I was an adult. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I gradually faded into other things, you know, throughout my teen years or something. It was just like, boom, you're an adult and now you're going to lead a completely different life. Whoa. Um, But four years ago after I made that jump and signed that lease on that apartment, for 12 months without a job in Denver where I knew no one. Oh, yeah. I started working uh, three different jobs, and one of those jobs was to be a sales intern at an agency. And I started just giving my opinions in meetings, uh, team meetings, about logos. And I had never designed a logo in my life. But they said, you know, and I did not have this, um, I guess I have the, had this lack of, cultural or societal or self-awareness to think, oh, you know, you're the sales intern. You shouldn't be saying anything right now. I didn't have that. You know, I just thought, oh, if I have a thought, I should express it. I had to learn that, you know, with my ex, which who, by the way, we actually have a great relationship now. All the shit that we went through to actually turn into this, you know what? We really didn't know what we were doing. You're we forgive young. each other. We're, yeah. yeah. We have a great relationship oh, now. Good. Um, but really, the, the people in the agency were like, she's got an eye for design. So they just, you know, put me through classes. And in that, so it was an, a digital agency. So they were specializing in websites. Um, and so just I just was specializing in my education of that to be a UX designer, which is a user experience designer. And I would show up at my classes or at my laptop and it would just look like complete gibberish and it would overwhelm me. And I would pray that to my creator, you have created people and there are human beings all around me that are smart enough to understand this. So I need my expanding to be understood, like I need my understanding to be expanded today and I need to be able to comprehend what I'm looking at. I literally did that every day for three months. Wow. And after three months, they said, we don't understand how you're doing what you're doing. Wow. And I replaced the 10-year designer that they had. Oh, my gosh. And became the full-time graphic designer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, and I, when I look back or when they, when they would say, like, we don't understand how you... You never opened Photoshop or Illustrator before, but you're designing websites and apps that are more intuitive and better put together than this 10-year designer that we work, we've always worked with. And I, and I just thought, I, I think I just, I, w- I just showed up and I would say, I believe that my human brain should be expanded. And I asked for that expansion mm-hmm. to comprehend this and to be able to do this. And, within, and I would just show up and I would just keep showing up. 
Do you think that um, when you were opening up your mind, it's what um, writers and you've heard the term collective consciousness. I don't know if you've heard that. I have never heard of that. Okay. Well, it's, it's sort of like, um, I don't want to get too much into myself, but when, when a writer comes up with some crazy thing that they'd never thought of before, but it makes perfect sense to their story and, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere. There's, um, actually been some studies done in this um, realm of, of where you're kind of tapping into something bigger than you. And That's so I, awesome. you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a prayer person, you know, I come from, you know, I'm a Catholic, awesome. but it's, yeah. uh, but at the same time, I'm very open-minded and I believe in manifestation and positivity yeah. and things like that too. And I think it's, you know, that, that energy and opening yourself up, but that's so cool that that yeah. obviously worked for you. Well, yeah. also it may have, um, calmed you down maybe enough mm. so you wouldn't put up those walls of panic so good you know and just kind of relax and do it or had the faith that you knew that that um i can do this you know you go into something saying i can do this it's like any wild adventure if you go into it with trepidation or fear it's not going to happen you know or it's not going to be a good experience most likely you go into it feeling positive and you you color that event don't you think i think so and what i've also learned I love that I never thought of it before that that must have relaxed me and just naturally like like kind of kind of gotten rid of the barriers like anxiety barriers um but I did find out that when I was building you know um designing websites I never got into development because that was just not my jam um so it was just design and then you had the team to develop everything mm-hmm. but I think it was that upbringing of doing things with my hands and things would fit together and make sense. Like I grew up using my mind in a way that a lot of people haven't. So maybe I didn't have technology and maybe I didn't wasn't exposed to a lot of things that people are exposed to. But because I used my mind, my mind now works in a way that can put things together and can learn things maybe more than than other people can I don't know because my dad built houses and so a lot of times I just feel like I'm building a house online when I'm designing a website wow that's that's remarkable because I can't do that (laughs) I'm remedial when it comes to computers (laughs) and I grew up you know and around electricity and things like that so is there a um was there a time uh when you were really little like for everyone else, you know, we have these stereotypes of, of what it's like to be Amish. So for us, you know, maybe a normal day would, would be wild. But did you did you do the wood burning thing? Did you have gas yeah, or I did had you... a wood burning? Um, yeah, we always had um, wood stoves. Mm-hmm. Um, always had wood stoves. Always canned like two hundred quarts of green beans, just green beans, and two hundred oh. quarts of tomato juice. And like, you know, we would have a whole room in the basement that was lined with shelves where we would can all our food and it would literally sustain us all winter long. So we always had big gardens. Well, that's the interesting part. My family was even a little different than most of the Amish and Mennonite families. My parents left the old order Amish when I was a baby and just launched out and bought a car and became like old order Mennonites. So they could have a black car and they were very conservative. Mm Until I was probably like 10 years old, I looked Amish, but my parents drove a black car around, which is really odd. But then all of my cousins and relatives were old order Amish. There are different levels to this thing. Okay, that's interesting to know. And um, 
so just it was very normal to me to I mean I remember one of the wildest experiences I had when I was um maybe about I don't know nine ten was seeing my mom buy meat from the store oh my gosh and we expected that I mean we we inspected that package of meat and it was very gross to us that that meat had been sitting on in the store for who knows how long and didn't smell I mean this is going to sound gross but freshly butchered meat didn't have the same smell that like if you open just any package of store bought meat it just has a different smell to it wow um I was used to we would have a butchering day we would butcher the animal and and I knew from a young age like my mom taught me at a young age how to like kill the chicken and then my dad I was just around when he would I could never watch when he would butcher the the cow or the pig and whatever in the fall I could never watch that but I would always um, it was so therapeutic to like skin them and prepare the meat and it wasn't it wasn't a like disrespectful thing mm-hmm. it was a very respectful thing because I, they had I had gotten to know that animal like I was always really attached to every animal but I knew that each year we would have different animals and then at the end of that year in the fall they were going to give their life and become meat for my family for the whole winter mm-hmm. and it was I would meet people then when I was older that would say how could you you know they had this idea that we would kill our pets and that's essentially what we were doing but I never had like a heartbreak over it I mean I guess I would um but it was never such a deep heartbreak that I I mean I it's weird to explain it's a life and death thing though I mean I I, obviously for the animal no I'm kidding but I mean (laughs) but I mean the um but I mean for you like you were you were only like living in such a simple life simple life in simple terms you know, anybody who, um, you know, was raised in that situation didn't really, you don't really have choices. Right. You know, and so yeah. you were just doing. Yeah. It was just a way this of life. to live. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it's a way to live. Like you have to be able to eat. Right. So, yeah. I remember just even my mind being blown it and how much, um, I mean, I was in my twenties before someone mentioned hamburger helper and I was like, what's that? Oh, sure. And what you could just buy like a packaged thing of this and this and put the two together and have a meal. What? When was the first time you went into a, a regular grocery store? I I definitely like my mom would go into regular grocery stores to get condiments and this okay. and that. So I would have grown up going into them, but I don't remember. Um, I don't remember really much because I feel like. She would shop in bulk a lot. Okay. So I remember her sometimes ordering food from um, something called Azure Standard, ordering things in bulk. She would go to a Costco and buy things in bulk. So just a regular, like, King Supers down the road or some other Safeway or if you live in a different area where they have different... Just a grocery store like that. Um, I remember traveling somewhere. I think we were traveling out west because we moved a lot. I moved over 22 22 times in my life by now. And a lot of those times happened during childhood. Um, But we were on a trip somewhere and my family stopped at just a regular grocery store. I think I must have been about eight or nine years old. 
and my dad went in and bought hot dogs and which hot dogs are definitely a normal thing in Amish and Mennonite families. Um, just bought in hot dogs. That's like the treat thing, right? And um, he bought hot dogs. We ate them cold and store-bought bread. And I'll never forget how, like, I think that was probably the first time I ever had Wander bread. I don't know. <laughs> and I just, it was so fascinating to me. I remember literally taking a bite and then looking at the textures and stuff that it made because it was so different than homemade bread. Yeah, you can roll that into a ball. Like yeah. a marble-sized ball. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's great. Is there anything else that's wild that happened to you that you'd like to share? I mean, last year I went to Uganda. Oh, my gosh. I, I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Uganda. So, you, so tell me about that. So a couple of weeks after I was at New York Fashion Week, a friend says to me, I'm going to Uganda. It's never really... I've always wanted to experience Africa. Definitely. It's always been on my bucket list. But she said, you know, we're, I'm going to Uganda. You should come, too. And I was like, well, that's crazy. I work. I, I'm a single mom. I'm not loaded. I'm still, you know, doing the hustle. And, um, but I kind of just had a wild notion that I should just go for it. And so I decided to go for it. But the crazy thing is I talked my sister into going too and promised her that I would like cover her way. So now not only was I paying my ticket to go, but her ticket and I uh, had this really crazy thing happen. So I am very like odd mixture of discovering my own beliefs and everything. And I'm totally cool with that. But I'm a big believer in um, the Christian practice of tithing because I didn't always identify as Christian, even though that was kind of the basis of my childhood. But now I do. And so at the time I had, and if you don't know what the Christian practice of tithing is, you give 10% of your income. Mm -hmm. So I just do that. Um, But I've experimented with like um, sowing seed, which is something they talk about, and giving offerings. Well, I was at this point where I decided to go to Uganda and I had saved up money. I had saved up like 2,800. This is, because this is a crazy story. This has never happened to me before. And, uh, but I had reached this point where I was kind of hitting a wall. I was like, how do I get through this wall? And it was a Saturday. I was doing something and I just felt this intuition I should give that my savings away and this was before I bought tickets to go to Africa so and this has never happened to me before so the next day I said I'm going to do this and I gave my savings away I think it was $2,600 oh my gosh and um the next day I found out that our tickets, we needed to buy our tickets with by the end of the week. And each ticket ended up costing $2,600 each. And in the beginning, they had said tickets are running around $1,500, $1,600 to go to Uganda. Well, the tickets had like jumped and, you know, they were just on much on the much higher end. I mean they did give us a range of like 1500 to 2500, but I didn't expect the tickets to be at the higher range of that because the group, you know, like the leader whatever the travel agent that we were working with mm-hmm. had said, "Well, this is probably what it's going to be." And I just taken that like, "Okay. Well, they said the tickets are going to be 2600 each and I'm paying for both me and my sister. So that's like, you know, $5000, right?" And it was in my account, and I did not panic. I was very calm. I got home uh, the next day. 
I went live on Facebook at nine o'clock at night and told everybody what I'm doing, but I didn't tell anyone that I had given my savings away. I didn't tell anyone because I really wanted to protect that and I felt a little stupid, but also felt calm. And so I listed eight pieces of artwork and within 72 hours, eight pieces had sold and I had enough for the one ticket. And then that weekend I got um, something else happened, just kind of serendipitous. So by the time it was said and done within seven days, I had double the amount that I'd given away back in my bank account. And that had never happened to me before and hasn't even happened to me since then. Wow, but the timing was amazing. But the timing, I was like, okay, you could, whatever you believe that (laughs) was, Yes. I don't know, like you can believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, but that was like miraculous, right? that is. And so we got the tickets and we went to Africa and just the whole trip, we got to spend a day in London and then we went to Uganda and I painted a 27 foot mural Wow. At the school. There was another thing. I just asked an organization there. Um, I, I got a vision of like this beautiful big mural in a school or just in Africa. So I asked this organization um, if they would be like open to that. And so they were so excited. So I actually went to um, like, I first I just decided to go. And then I decided, and then I asked, oh, I want to do art there. And then that door opened, and it was just one door after another. So at the end, I've painted this 27-foot mural. My way has just been, like, opened up for me to go. And my sister was just transformed there. So now she's leaving for nine months this September to go travel across three continents and multiple countries um, later this year. For nine months, she's going to do, like, a backpacking thing and live out of a backpack for nine months. I mean, she got so excited by it. That had been, was her first experience. That was her wild thing. She's like 18 years old and her big sister is taking her. Yeah. That was kind of like my graduation gift to her. Wow. Had she been, when did she leave the Mennonites? So my mom, crazy as this is, when I got excommunicated, my mom was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Mm -hmm. And it started something in my mom when I was excommunicated. So several years later, about four years later, she divorced my dad and went off into the world and, you know, took my siblings. And now so my I'm the oldest of eight kids. So now my younger siblings are growing up completely different than I did. I'm in my 30s and I've grown up old school. And they went now my three, four youngest siblings have gone to public school. And okay, yeah, they still they had a culture shock, though, for sure. Mm-hmm. especially my sister. It was a difficult one for her, actually, because she showed up in school and teachers were actually mean to her and ostracized oh. her because really? she didn't know, you know, she's entering fifth grade or sixth grade and had never been, walked into a school before. And yeah, the teachers, it was a small town. I think they just didn't understand what she was coming from. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she has some really difficult memories of her transition. Wow. Um, but That's yeah, terrible. Uganda changed both of us. And doing that Uganda trip now to us, to her and I, we're like, what's stopping us from just picking up and living abroad next year if we feel like it? I don't know. Nothing's stopping us. Let's right. do it. That's right. You know, it just starts conversations like that when you just start decide mm-hmm. to do something. Well, have you ever read any of Tim Ferriss? That's kind of what he's all no. about. Oh, well, there's a plug for you, Tim. 
<laughs> I'll, I will. I'll, I'll, yeah, his four-hour work week, and now he's. It's it's sort of about that. It's a it's kind of about a you know, um, living a life that allows you the freedom um, to do what you would like. Wow. You know. And so, yeah, definitely check I'll that out. I'll have to learn. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to pick that up. I actually think I've heard Four Hour Work Week mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, but it's written by Tim, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Awesome. Check it out. So, is there anything else that you'd like to share that's wild? Not really. Well, uh, tell me what your next wild adventure is or plan. Do you have anything planned that's wild or? Kind of. Um, I'm deciding to leave Denver now and hop out to Nashville and move to Nashville in August. Wow. I'm actually planning this one out a little bit more than my last move. Um, looking at houses and um, kind of looking at, I'm flying out next month to just look at the area. Before, I would have probably showed up sight unseen and said, this is where my next life experience is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this time, this time you're gonna check it out a little bit more. Yeah, because I do have a daughter, and I do yeah. want to make sure I'm in it by a good school, yeah. right? Right. But yeah, I just I feel like there's a whole bunch of new wild things that are gonna happen for me out there that are just gonna be not what I expected, and I I can't wait to find out what they are. And we can't wait to find out either. We might have to do a follow up. <laughs> that would be fun. Yes. Well, go ahead and and do you have anything you'd like to promote or plug or a website? I or? mean, not really. If you guys want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram, Meg If I may change it to Coloring Spirit Art in the future, because I'm an artist. Um, I love what I do with my cousin. I love fashion. I love that we're making leather handbags. And so if you want to find me there, you can find us on Instagram also at Urban Southern. We have a website too, urbansouthern.com. My website is coloringspirit.com, but it comes and goes. And it's for someone that designs websites, you would think my website would be amazing. (laughs) I designed urbansouthern.com, but... For my website, it's just, it kind of sits there and it gets neglected, which is kind of like neglecting myself. So I feel like I'm eventually, you know, I feel like I'm going to pay more attention to what I do with my art and stuff. Um, Again, I'm going to get back into that, but it's always there for me. It's like, it's my boo thing. And this is where you you can um, see your paintings. Is that right? Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. On my Instagram, meg.delagrange. Yeah. All of my artwork is there. And some of my artwork is on coloringspirit.com as well. Well, great. Well, Meg, it was such a pleasure interviewing you today and I wish you the best of luck in uh, your next big move. And uh, so thank you. Awesome. I'm so honored that you interviewed me for The Wild Side. Well, thank you. Production and musical score of The Wild Side by Kelly Lindau. Visit my website at suzylindau.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram or tweet me about the show at Susie Lindau, and I'll follow you back. If you enjoyed The Wild Side, be sure to tell your friends, family, or anyone who will listen. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks so much for listening.